I always say I have the best job in the world. I get to help women unlock their limitless potential so they can have it all. If your mind is saying you can't have it all, that's fear running the show. I'm here to tell you, the only thing between you and holistic success is you. The doors to Limitless Warrior are officially open. Join Limitless Warrior. It's time to dig deep and shine bright. It's time to permanently break up with fear. If you want all the holistic success you've been dreaming of, join us. It's a 12-week program, once a week, on a Zoom for 90 minutes. Get off that hamster wheel and be the limitless woman you know you are inside. The link to save your spot is limitless-warrior.com. Join us. Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. We talk a lot about mindfulness. This is a word I think that is not only overused, but underdefined. My guest today has been on a mindfulness journey since she was very young. She is an explorer of herself. This may seem indulgent to some of you, like, great, Liz, when do I have time to explore myself? I mean, I have to work, feed the dog, have sex with my husband. I know, I know, I get it. But in this exploration, we get all the juice of life, the gold. Everything we are seeking actually lies within us. This is something we may dabble in in our 20s, yearn for in our 30s, strive for in our 40s, but in our 50s, this is when we really start to live into what it means to be in the present moment. To take mindfulness to ninja level. My guest today has gotten to that level and has founded a company using an ancient African tool that changed her life. You'll love her story. But first, Carrie's here, everybody. Carrie Murray from the Bra Network. You guys know I'm crazy for the Bra Network. I can't stop talking about it because guess what? It's the best. Carrie, I want to know, I get asked to join a lot of networking groups, to be honest, Carrie, and you're one of the few that I have joined and keep renewing every damn year. What do you think it is about the Bra Network that's so special? Well, first, I think what really sets us apart is we believe in community first then the networking's next. So it, the the whole heart and soul of Bra comes from its members, knowing that they're not gonna get oversold to, it's not super salesy, here's my business card, community first. Yeah, and you know what? I can totally attest to that because I feel like it's not just about like, here's me selling, selling, selling. People are like, how are you, Liz? How yes. are you doing? I'm like, thank you for asking. So nice of you. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about the membership perks because this is obviously one of the best reasons to join. Give me the three top perks that you get as a Bra member. Absolutely. You know, and it's really what sets us apart from other networking groups. The first one is we hire the women within our network first. 
We want to keep the money flowing between us. So whether you need an accountant and a photographer for your daughter's wedding or a nice handbag for your mother-in-law, we look within the broad directory and say, who can I elevate? Who can I hire? Who can I spend my money with? That's the first. The next is every member gets a dedicated landing page in the directory that's accessible to anybody. It features you, your business, testimonies, and how we can work with you. And then member events, virtual and in-person. They're very engaging. They're very elevated. Um, it's for new entrepreneurs as well as experienced entrepreneurs coming together for collaboration. Yeah, and these events are epic. I, everyone that I bring to one of your like events that has never been to one before are like, that was the best. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. Like you just always have a great mix of speakers, learning, laughing, and then you just spoil us. It's always like the most beautiful place. And you, I mean, even after the pandemic, we were like, please, someone spoil us. You just do the best job at that, Carrie. I bravo to you. All right, what do you say to someone though, Carrie? who has just joined the net, done the networking. They're like, no, it's, I just can't do it. It's just, I don't like it. What do you say to them? What yeah, are, I, I, actually, I get that a lot. So what, what's the difference between bra and other networking group is the, you know, the R in bra is relationship, business relationship alliance. So the relationship is the heart and soul behind networking. So we seek to to look at each other's as collaborators and not competitors. So even if you go to a, an event and you're like, oh, it's filled with photographers, that doesn't matter. We wanna know you, we wanna know who you are, the person behind the brand, not just the brand. So that's us, heart and soul. It's so true. And you guys are very, you, you, very collaborative. People are always having each other on their podcasts or doing a collaboration at an event. And it, it's amazing that way. And then, you know, the hiring within, which you can't, you can't beat that either. All right, Carrie, do we get a coupon for joining? Cause you know, I need a coupon. Absolutely. And I love the podcast. So anybody that listens to your podcast, if they use the code warrior and head to the website, broad-network.com, they get 15% off uh, membership just because I love and adore you. And I love this podcast. <laughs> I mean, you heard it here first. You get 10% off with code warrior and you go to, what's the website one more time, Carrie? Broad-network.com. Broad-network.com. Head over. Okay, everyone on the show today, Jasai Madden, a certified Kundalini yoga instructor, author of The New Fast Girls and Mindfulness Facilitator, which means that she teaches people how to be with what is exactly as it is with clarity, grace, and compassion. Can we all take a deep breath? That sounds delicious. Primarily, she uses tools of refraining, including fasting, silence, and stillness. Josai seeks to illuminate the truth that being deeply connected to the present moment is the only true and lasting freedom available to us always. She has recently added the art and practice of waist bead wearing to her toolkit, which provides people with the opportunity to reconnect to their center and rediscover their own endless reservoir of beauty, power, balance, and being. Welcome to the show, Josai. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm listening to you read that and I haven't read that in a long time. It's exactly who I am though. <laughs> Isn't that nice? It's exactly who I am. Isn't that nice? Because, and you know, what's funny. Every time I do this introduction, all the women have a reaction like, huh. You know, I, and I think it's like, I, I make the joke, I'm going to go with you guys everywhere and just introduce you in a room like that. And you're going to feel so great. But isn't it nice to hear 
about ourselves, like hear that said about ourselves by another person and, and hear that validation. It feels good. It's beautiful to, I mean, because when you write a bio, somebody has asked you to write a bio. So you sort of put things together and you try, but when I hear it, I'm like, Oh no, that's actually me. That's dope. I like it. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad we could do this today. And you've been patient as a saint because we've had to pivot and move and all the things. So thank you, Josiah, first of all. I want to really get to know you. You came through my friend, Patty, who is like a dear friend of me and you. So thank you, Patty. Tell me about your life growing up and how your childhood might have led to the woman you are today. Because you told me today you actually were in your old neighborhood. Right. Literally an hour and a half ago, I was at a coffee shop, which is a new coffee shop in my neighborhood because neighborhoods are changing all over the country. But my neighborhood is very, very, very much energetically feels the same with some new little spots. And so I was at this coffee shop literally around the corner from where I used to live all through junior high and high school. I realized being there today that I was a very, very, very nurtured child. Ooh. I was a deeply nurtured child and we had challenges inside of our home, inside of our four walls, we had challenges, but the community I grew up in held me beautifully, really. I have to tell you, Josiah, that is not normally the story I hear from women. I don't normally hear that story. In fact, today in one of my mastermind groups that I run, we had a whole session on our childhood and you know what was told to us about ourselves how we were perceived by our parents and is that really true and these women the pain the yeah. pain and we had to go through a whole forgiveness exercise and it was a big big thing it was beautiful but it was a big thing but when i heard about like a lot of these women were expressing that they grew up and they they had to be the parents of their parents mm. that ah. they did not they did not really have childhoods because they had to parent their emotionally unavailable parents uh, or even just physically not there. I had oh. one girl say she was a latchkey kid, kindergarten latchkey kid, came home kindergarten alone all day and night until the parents came home. That's challenging because if you are kept in a different kind of way when you're young, there is a safety that you develop internally that lets you navigate the world in a very different way. So I am grateful to say, and to my mother, hello mother. She was extraordinary in holding space for the fact of my childhood and the experience of my childhood. And again, even in the places where it was challenging, my mother was always the mother. Yes. My parents were always yeah. the parents. Yeah, and I think that's, I, I guess what I'm, why I'm saying that to you is because I'm wondering if, because you were so held, you were so loved, you were so surrounded that, you became this person, this person who's so mindful and is so just, you You have just a free and easiness to you. You just have a, a calm and a free and easiness to you that I think it takes some women a long time to even get there if we get there at all. I'm thinking that that is one of the reasons why you have this. For sure. And so I was a church kid. And I, when I say I was a church kid, I mean, we went to church on Sunday. We went to choir rehearsal on Wednesday. I mean, we went to Bible class on Wednesday. We went to choir rehearsal on Thursday. We did church things on Saturday. I was a church kid. I was the secretary in Sunday school. I was the lead singer in the choir. My mother was a deacon. So there was a whole, again, there was a whole container that even if my parents as individuals, as you know, own human beings couldn't sort of fill in particular gaps, 
there were all kinds of people that I could go to and sit with and talk to and visit them and see that my immediate world in my home was what it was, but my larger world was a super soft place to, to be and to land. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. I'm so happy. <laughs> Tell me about your career and life path and how were you able to embrace mindfulness in such a holistic way? So the answer literally comes out of that same place. So, so as beautiful as it was, there were challenges. And I think that most of the challenges, if I'm looking back now and thinking about the adjustments that I made, most of the challenges came from the storytelling from the outside world. The outside world said things to a young Black girl about intelligence and about beauty and about success and, and what how success could be formed. And because I was held as a small girl, I had all of this confidence and I had all of this intelligence and I had all of this stuff. But when I began to engage the outside world, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe I don't fit here. Maybe this isn't going to work for me. Maybe the things I imagine aren't really for me. And so at a very young age, I think I began to develop a kind of self-esteem challenge mm. from school places and from, cause I, you know, I was born in 75. So in the eighties and the nineties, I was watching all the TV, all the TV, all, TV, all the time. All the TV. Yeah. And I think that my life changed. And I don't know what I was taking it. No, that's not true. I do know what I was taking it. So when I was a little girl, if, even though we were church, a churchy family, my mother had this little hutch right behind the couch. And in the hutch was a whole bunch of books that were like psychological, spiritual kinds of metaphysical. I don't know what my mother was doing with those books. Because even now, I'm like, was my mother reading those books? <laughs> But I was reading those books because I'm an avid reader. I have a whole library in my home. And I was reading those books and I understood that there was a world inside and that the world inside was important to pay attention to. And so I was having all of the challenges that young adult people, teenage people have. And I was kind of, I'm a Leo. So I'm not only am I like, oh, I'm here, see me. But I can also, I have been described when I was younger, certainly as bossy and, you know, all the things that they do to us when we have big personalities. I could feel myself shrinking. I could feel myself being intimidated by things that my little girl self would not be intimidated by. And I didn't like it. I didn't like how it felt to not be sure of myself because I had been sure when I was smaller. And so when I would watch how I, was reactionary. And all of those things kind of turned me off about me. And because I was reading all of these books, like I feel like, I don't know how long Wayne Dyer's been writing, but I know full well there was a Wayne Dyer book in that bookshelf. Well, he he, um, he passed away, but he was, yeah. he was in his 70s when he passed away. He was, so, writing, wow, he, was around. he was writing forever. And those books were saying things to me about my mind and and how powerful my mind was. And I wasn't processing them at the time, I don't think, not consciously, but it was in there. The seeds were being planted. And then I had my home life, as beautiful as it was, because I didn't have to be an adult. Sometimes the adults in that space, you know, they had drama because they had trauma, because they were raised by whomever they were raised by and gone through whatever they went through. And I wanted to leave my parents' home. When I was a teenager, I was like, I am getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. And I did. I was 18 and I got married. Ooh. Married when you're 18, you've gotten married too young. <laughs> I mean, yes. 
you kind of just have gotten married too young, but I need to. Yeah. I, and I have, so I have a 27 year old and a 21 year old. I couldn't imagine either of them being married at all. Right. I got married when I was 18 and I became a mother when I was 19. And becoming a mother changed me because I knew that I had to pay attention to my life in a very, very, very particular kind of way. So as not to offer my son some of the challenging home life experiences that I had. And so I was, I took on the job. Like I was like, not only am I going to feed him and clothe him and make sure he's sheltered, but I'm going to become the kind of mother that I know is going to support young people, children in the kinds of ways that I didn't feel supported. And now, because I hear women say that all the time, people say that all the time, I was going to be the kind of parent my parents weren't. And I didn't do that because I was absolutely my mother a whole bunch of the time. Isn't it funny how we, even when we were consciously like, it's just, it's not going to happen. Yes. Not going to happen. And then you literally see yourself, like even the other day I looked in the mirror and I'm like, well, damn, that's how her hair is too. Like you're like, you're You're like becoming her. What's going on? You're doing it. Yeah. So I did, and my, because my mother was extraordinary, there were some of the things that I adopted and they felt very, very safe. Like, I know if I do this like this, my children are going to be great. And then there were some things, especially things around socialization and things around religion and things around telling people who they had to be in order to be considered good. Like, I was like, mm, I just don't know about those. And yeah. so I was reading, because I was always reading, reading. And then when I was about 20 some years old and I was headed to Argentina, a boyfriend of mine's family lived in Argentina. Oh. Because I had, I was only married for five minutes. That's how I skipped from a marriage to a boyfriend. <laughs> five whole minutes. Yeah. And, and I was married for five minutes because my commitment to parenting trumped my commitment to this relationship, which was unhealthy. It just wasn't going to happen. My yeah. son's father called me a bad word. Man, we were like having an argument, you know, like whatever people do. And I'm sure that other people's spouses have called them a bad word and they've survived. But something in my head was like, and I looked in the back seat, and my son was a brand new baby, two months old. And my little brother, who was 10, was in the back seat. And I was like, oh, this is over. Right. Well, because it's a nice mirror, though. I'm sorry. But like children are such a nice mirror because they are such purity and yeah. truth that when something like that happens, it is like a. Oh, the light goes on. Like, oh, this isn't probably not the right place. This is is not the right scene. Yeah. And and I looked in the back seat. We were at a gas station, headed home. And we lived with my parents at the time because we had moved from South Bend, Indiana, back to California. Because I left California with this guy because I was trying to get out of my parents' house for real. Like, I left California to go to South Bend where it only snows. And it's a ridiculous place for me to live. But I got pregnant and then I was like, ooh, I have family and I have a support system. We got to go back. So we were at this gas station and we were arguing and he said this thing. And I looked in the back seat and I turned back around and, and I was like, oh, this is over. And I think I wanted to tell myself it was over, but I said it out loud. I said, this is over. When you get back to my mother's house, I need you to get your things and I need you to leave. Because I don't know what was happening to me in my head. I don't know what kind of calculation I did right then, but I thought if a man would say that to me, he would hit me. And probably because I had been in environments where people who talk like that to each other also hit each other. Listen, if that instinct is coming to you, then you were right. I was like, no, no, absolutely not. And, And really that was it. I learned in the moment, I think I learned in that moment 
to listen to myself, Mm -hmm. to listen to myself. And I think I have cultivated over all those years of reading and like attention to how this thing works, that there is something inside of me that gives me instruction and I need to listen to it. And that was it. Like I, we separated when my son was two months old. We never got back together. And then I just started living my life and I was living my life very specifically pointed towards being a better person so that I could be a good mother. And then I read Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn while I was on this trip to Argentina and I was blown away. I was like, oh, I'm it. Like I had to address me. Mm -hmm. If I address me, the whole world changes. And literally from 20 to 46 years old, what I know absolutely is that's true, that nothing is controlling me. Nothing is in my way. Nothing can stop me. I am it. And if I can be where I am and say what I need to say to make magic for me, it gets made. I, I love that. I love that. And I love that moment that you had because I do really feel like life changes on a dime. Like I, as much as people, and listen, the dime may happen and then you might not make the change later. You're really good at changing like on the dime, right on it, you know, but still those light bulb lantern in the cave, you know, moments where all of a sudden the light goes on and you're like, and you see everything different than it was before. Nothing is the same for you to have that awareness and say, Oh, it's all on me. That kind of radical personal responsibility that can like, pro- like basically propel you through your whole life. You know, now, it's, it's hard to do that, but it's amazing when you can do it. Like you said, I did not execute at all well in my 20s and 30s. I didn't execute at all well if I'm gauging from here. And I'm super compassionate towards myself because now I have 20 year old children. I'm like, 20 is dumb. I mean, like, it's just young, it's just brand new to the whole, how the whole thing works. So I could see myself, but I couldn't always stop myself or adjust myself or pivot. And that was even harder. Cause I was like, Josiah, can you be the person that you know you should be? Can you do it? And I just worked. I just kept working. I worked when it was hard. I worked when it was confusing. I worked when I was confident. I just worked. I just kept looking at me. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love that. Tell me, what do you, you, I know you're a mindfulness facilitator. You do a, a bunch of different things. What is the key, like in your mind, to being more mindful, to having more peace, to getting to this place that you're in now? So I wouldn't have been able to say this back then, but right now I would say, and I probably, this probably was the answer back then, and I was using the tool back then. It is being where you are. It is being present to what is happening with you now, not being in your head about what's happening, not being in the past, not being in the future, like really being right here with this moment because there are no actual other moments. All of the other moments are gone or not here. Like this moment is really the one that's going to give you the answer because the answer only comes in the moment you're in. You can't get the answer in yesterday. You can't get the answer in tomorrow. I think that what I knew early on and then I sort of began to keep cultivating is that if I followed my breathing, if I did things that calmed me and brought me back to the moment, the answer was always there. And then I could follow the answer if I could bring myself to the moment. Because everything's confusing otherwise. 
it's if, if you don't stay there, like I remember, because I was a challenging partner for a really, really long time because I'm a Leo. And because I think I operated a lot out of fear, like I needed, especially around parenting and around relationshiping, like I needed to make sure I had the things I always needed. So my children had the things they always needed because I watch women. I'm in a business full of women right now, but I've always been. So when I was 10 years old, I braided hair. I was a 10 year old girl braiding hair for money and braiding adult women's hair. So you can imagine the conversations that I had at 13. Oh my gosh, that you were privy to. I can't even imagine what you heard, Josiah. Oh my God. I mean, I mean, lawyers and corporate women. And like, I have been talking to women about their interior lives literally since I was a preteen. Wow. Yeah. My parents, again, were remarkable because I did this in my mother and father's home. Like they would like, these are people they didn't know. Like I would do somebody's hair and then that person would refer somebody. So these people were primarily strangers. Upon entering my parents' house, they would walk through my childhood living room into my bedroom and be there for four to 12 hours getting their hair braided. I've been a therapist since I was 12. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Okay. Since you've been a therapist since you were 12, what is the number one thing you would say, the common thread that is always holding people back because I already know your answer and I want to hear it. You know what it is. I know, but you tell me. Love, relationship. Love, like it's the thing that gets, it's the thing that we need and it's the thing that gets the most in our way, but it's not the wrong thing. It's just focused in the wrong direction. It is love and it is relationship and it's with you. It's with yourself. Love is Love is the thing that we should be grasping at, that we should be searching for. And relationship is the thing that we should be searching for. And we absolutely should be turning it towards ourselves. Because what happens is we, this whole experience here is reflective. I'm sure you've, all, you've heard that before, that I'm experiencing what I am. So if you are continually running into relationships that use and abuse your time and energy, you should probably look at how you use your time and energy. A hundred percent. And I also think the seeking of love, right? When you're seeking that love, that external validation outside of yourself, and you are chasing that like a dog chasing a car bumper, you are just (laughs) running full speed, right? Like you are like, I am going to get that thing. And you're running an indicator, right? Of inside. I am feeling so rotten inside that I am putting all of my love and all that stuff on this outside thing. That's your little girl inside of you screaming, hello, love me. What about me? Right? Like I need something from you, but for some reason we get, it's the hot potato, one of the hot potato of our feelings. Like, ah, get it off me. You know? So you're like, putting it out there, right? Trying to get it from someone else, but really what you are looking for is you. Yeah, the whole time, the whole time, nobody but you. And I, and I, so I have a daughter. I mean, I didn't quite, because the first child is always the child that sort of, you know, gets the practice mom. I mean, yeah. and I love my son and I'm so grateful to him for putting up with, you know, the practice version of me. And it is, it has been difficult for my children for me to become somebody else because they have all of these memories of me that are not quite so airy-fairy and that are not quite so enlightened. And they're like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, seriously. Because what, what is also true is that people get to change. They do change, they should change, and they get to change. And so I just have continued to evolve without letting the idea of who I 
was or should be to other people get in the way. I love that. Well, tell me about, because I know you believe in fasting for mindfulness. And let me just be real with you, Josiah. The idea of fasting does not appeal to me because I love food. <laughs> me too. So, okay, you love food. Okay, good. Good. At least we have this in common, so now I can understand. But tell me, you wrote yeah. this book called um, The New Fast Girls. I want to know, how are you using, to me, fasting for my mindfulness, I'm like, no, but that's all that's going to be on my mind, Josiah, is the food. So how am I fasting for mindfulness? You think, okay, so let me tell you, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you how I got to fast. So again, I grew up in church, so fasting in the Baptist church and in, in, in black churches, you know, in the black church culture happens around, you know, petitioning God. We, we want God to bless us for the choir, you know, the, the, you know, the, the event. We want everybody to be in the right kind of frame of mind and energetic frequency. And so it was interesting to me that they chose fasting because it meant that not eating did something for you that was spiritual. Like, I feel like I always understood that because church people fast and church people do things to amplify their spiritual energy. When I was uh, practicing being a yogi and I decided I was going to teach yoga, right around that time, I kept hearing the spirit say to me, get quiet. And I'm not a quiet person. It's not in my resume. It's not a thing I do now. Certainly not before that. It just wasn't going to happen. And I would have been the kind of person and I was the kind of person that said, no, 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 I can't really do it. And I, but I kept hearing it. And so I went to get to Google what it even meant to get, because, you know, that's how we figure out what things mean. We Google it. So I Googled it. And then I realized there were places where people went to get silent. And I was like, oh, you can go to a place to be silent. That's dope. And then I was looking up places and Spirit Rock came up, which is in Woodacre, California. And they had a people of color retreat. And I was like, oh, God wants me to do this. God wants me to do this because these people, and, and you know, most of these places and spaces, certainly having already been in the practice of yoga, I knew were not predominantly spaces where you would find people of color. Now, having been in human resources for 22 years, I'm used to being the only black woman in the space. So it, it, that it, energetically, that didn't bother me. But when I'm practicing my spirituality, I'm like, you know, I don't really know how that, because I never went to church with non-Black people. I never did. I did social things, but I didn't do spiritual things. And I knew it was a little different because I visited churches that were not Black churches. And I was like, they are different. Lovely, but different. So when this said that there was a people of color retreat, I was like, okay, I'm going to sign up. I signed up. I got, And you could tell that this is not a, common thing because there was a whole waiting list oh, well like wow. yeah no no they put out the date where that it was going to be you got on the waiting list and they called people and I got in and then I realized oh I have no idea what I'm doing I have no idea what this means so I went to the library because books are how I learned and I got a million books on Vipassana meditation and one book on fasting what made you get a book on fasting though just because like just because it was familiar <laughs> in your spiritual life because I'm a procrastinator. And, okay. I, and I think I probably was nervous about what I had gotten myself into. So I was like, oh, I'll read this first. <laughs> Turns out it was completely relevant because okay. it, it literally was a book about how you can use fasting in order to get connected to your spiritual life. And it was literally, the practice was exactly like I, I outlined in the book. The guy was fasting 
one day a week from sunrise on that one day to sunrise on the next day. And I, and after I read it, and I read it from front to back before I picked up any of the books on silence. And I was like, oh, because the retreat was seven months later. So it wasn't even like a right now retreat. I said, if I could do this, if I could fast once a week, I can probably be silent for seven days. And so that was my prep work. Fasting was literally my prep work for silence. So the very next Monday, I was like, I'm going to do it. And I got up. And at the time, I was working at a corporate office here in Woodland Hills in the HR department. It's like the country's largest campus. So there are thousands of employees. And in the corporate office, hundreds of employees. There were probably 30 people in my department. And they have, you know, donuts. They have all the things you have in an office. And all day, I heard myself telling people, no, I'm fasting. No, I'm fasting. No, I'm fasting. And I was so proud of myself. <laughs> Fasting, I'm fasting, fasting. And I made it through the day. I'm, and I was like, oh, this is easy. Oh, this is a thing you can do. I cooked for the children. I, you know, did all my home chores. I went to bed. The next week, my ego was like, I don't know who you think you're playing with, but we ain't doing this. We are not. And I was sitting at my desk and I heard something inside of my head say, just eat the damn peanut. And I was like, I don't need, first of all, I don't even know what peanuts you're talking about. And then I opened my drawer and absolutely there was a peanuts in there. And there was no one in the office that day. No one. So I could have eaten the peanuts and gotten away with it. And then I saw that. I saw whatever that was in me do that thing to me to try to derail me. And I was like, oh, wait, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, that's not how we're going to do this. On Monday, I'm going to be in charge. Period. And on Tuesday through Sunday, do whatever the hell you want to do. But on Monday, no one's eating. And Liz, you should have felt, because that's really what it is. The feelings of resistance when you're trying to wrangle yourself, mm. it's yeah. really wild. And I really begin to fall in love with the process of succeeding, frankly. Like every time I went to bed, still having not eaten anything and woken up in the morning and still hadn't eaten anything, I was like, oh, I overcame myself a little bit more. Because it was the only thing that I, I had ever had that was like, oh, this is evidence that I can not do the thing that my ego just insists that I do. Because I'm, I'm the kind of person, certainly back then, I would go off on you. I would just say the thing, I, you know, just all the wrong things, unskillful things. I would just do them. And I didn't want to. Right. And I was like, how do you- I had no control of that. Yeah. And I thought, what can I, what practice could I instill where yeah. I know I actually can control my mouth, my brain, my, all my things, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And so I did that and up until the retreat, up until the silent retreat. And then I just kept doing it. I did that for 10 years. So I did how, it for, how many days are you fasting? You just fast one day a week from sunrise so on Monday. Okay, okay. On Tuesday. Now, other people, Mondays are not a good day for them. So it's sunrise on whatever day to sunrise on the next day. And I tell people all the time, and don't try to press yourself because then that's the habit we get into. I'm going to just go ham. I'm going to just do three days. I'm. You know what? No. Don't be crazy. Don't be crazy. Just, because we're not really trying to... We're trying to see something. 
we're not necessarily trying to accomplish anything. I'm not doing it for weight loss. I'm not doing, I'm really trying to practice getting in front of the part of me that just goes berserk. Right. And so if I missed the day or if I ate, I didn't get down on myself. I was like, you know what? That's what happened today. Today, I couldn't really keep it together. And there had been, you know, there would come be periods where whatever was going on in my life made it difficult. And so I would intend to fast um, in the morning. And then, and then I'd be like, I ate a cookie. So you know (laughs) what? I ate, because I worked in a restaurant for three of those years. So it really just gave me a kind of discipline, an actual discipline, a spiritual discipline that grew me like, like wildflower really. Well, I want to know about this waste bead company that you created because, first of all, I, you told me a little bit when we talked how you even started it, which just was killing me because it's people like you who see this white space and just come in and do something. I'm like, damn, I wish I thought of that. You know, like you, you're, you're one of those people that someone goes, oh, ah, why didn't I think of that? But I also thought it was interesting because I'd never heard of waste beads. And apparently this is a thing and I'm the last to know in the world. So can you, can you tell me about your company and how it works and the waste beads and everything? Absolutely. So a waste bead, first of all, is an ancient African technology. It is as old as time, I'm sure. It is all at once an adornment and waste management tool, a scale and a mindfulness tool. So it's super holistic. Somebody tied a waste bead on me when I turned 40 and it was pretty pivotal because I was undoing, I was unlearning things. And at the time I had realized like right before my 40th birthday that I'd never worn a bikini before. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't have the best body in the world, but I see bodies in bikinis and I don't know why my body has never been in a bikini. So I did this whole thing. And at the time I was already teaching, I was teaching about mindfulness and silence and that kind of thing. And so I told the public, you know, the people in my orbit, I was going to wear a bikini on my 40th birthday. I gave a beach party. A woman tied a bead on me. It changed my life immediately. So I got to the beach feeling uncomfortable. I, I wore the bikini. I did it. I got there, but I was feeling super uncomfortable. Like I was outside in my underwear. And then she tied this waist bead on me. And immediately I felt covered from my neck to my ankles. Immediately. Like the way I was being in my body, the way I was being in my body, energetically and literally, like I was cartwheeling on the beach. I was playing flag football. I was doing things I would never do even with clothes on. And I had my whole tail out. And I was like, I'm having a great time. And I wasn't thinking about whether people were judging the way I was looking. Like I just was so connected to me and my experience. And so, of course, I kept wearing them. I was buying them for everyone who would let me touch them. Everyone. And I was buying them from a young African girl in the Merck Park, which is about 30, 40 minutes from my house in the Valley. So I was driving there every Sunday like I was hooked. And then that young lady disappeared. I could not find her. I drove there five weeks in a row. Because I had been invited to make waste beads. Like, once you wear waste beads, at least back in the day, people would be like, oh, you know, you're a kindred spirit. Let's make some. Now I'm a whole grown woman with a corporate job. I was like, sweetheart, I am not, I'm about to buy these cheap beads from this young lady. Buy it. Buy it. <laughs> I'm not about to make it. And she was gone. And so I told God, I was like, listen, I mean, because I can't go on Etsy. Because I understood at that time that it mattered who made them because they were energetic tools. It wasn't just jewelry. So I wasn't trying to be like just blind purchasing. I'm going to go to TJ Maxx, see if they got yeah. any race in here today. <laughs> yeah, no, it just, and at the time in the West. So, so this explosion of waste beads has happened in the last five years that I've been doing it because when I first start, so the first year I wasn't even looking for them. The second year I was wearing them, 
I had decided I was going to make them on, on a fluke. A girlfriend went into a bead store. The beads captivated me. So I bought some. And then I was like, well, you got to do something with beads. You can't just be buying bags of beads. So I decided I would try to make a waist bead. And for the second time, waist beads changed my life because the practice of making them was a meditation. It, it literally dumped me into what the ancients call samadhi. Like I was just somewhere else for an hour and 45 minutes stringing this bead. And I wrote about that. And in four minutes, somebody was like, how much is it? I was like, how much is what? They were like, the waist beat. I was like, sweetheart, I'm not selling waist beads. I'm just trying to tell you what happened. And literally by the end of the night, six people were like, how much are the waist beads? And I went to bed that night and I told God, listen, if this is the thing, you better give it to me whole because I'm not about to be researching waist beads and how much they cost. And I'm not about to do it. Right. And I think you have a relationship with the creator like that. Like, it's just familiar. Like, I get that this is the thing. I can feel it. I've been working with spiritual technology long enough to know when God is like moving. Yes. But I'm about to, I, I was an HR manager. I was a recruiting executive. I was like, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> and I went to bed that night and everything about my business in the first year came to me in dreams. Every single thing, the price list, the visuals, all the people who supported me, the whole thing. In six months, I quit my 20 year HR job. Because I knew that doing HR would never benefit me in the way that this was benefiting me. And I haven't had a, I haven't had a job outside of this work since. And tell, for everyone to know, tell us the name of your company and where a we lot. get these beautiful things. Because by the way, everyone, it's literally hanging behind her on the wall. Yes. It literally is like art. Like I'm yes. looking behind her and I would like all of those things hanging <laughs> on a wall in my house because it's so pretty, the colors, the blues and the oranges, all the colors. Tell me that. The name of the company and how do how do we get away speed? Yes. So Alayo is A-L-A-I-Y-O dot net. We also have a gorgeous studio in Canoga Park, California. It's by appointment only because I would be overrun with humans if it wasn't. We are open Thursday through Sunday. We have public and private appointments and we travel all over the country teaching people about the technology of waist beads and waist bead wearing. And it's been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And so wearing a waist bead, let's just say if somebody was interested in getting one, it's a mindfulness tool because it's there. It's on you. You feel it, right? It brings you back to your center, right? And not elastic. It's not elastic. Not elastic. And it doesn't come off, which is a really important thing for people to know. This is not a piece of jewelry you can take on and off. People tie these beads on. It's kind of ceremonial. I tie them on you or you tie them on yourself or you enlist somebody in your space who you love and know and trust to tie them on you. It's almost like getting engaged to yourself. So you set intentions. You, you, we use the chakra coloring system. So if there's a particular energy that you're looking to cultivate in or around you, you choose a waist bead in that color and then you tie it on. And it literally creates a kind of vibratory frequency in and around you that reminds you, well, if I have a blue waist beat on, that means I'm being more compassionate in my speech. I'm being honest in my speech. I'm going with the flow and, you know, observing what's happening around me, but not resisting. It literally works like magic. And I am, for the last five years, been watching people's lives change before my eyes, not only their lives, their bodies. Like if a woman, I, I had a woman come to a party. So we do parties here as well. And I had a woman who was a guest at a party, got a bead. People super skeptical, especially in the beginning years. So when you first, when I first came to the space of making them, if you hashtag waist beads on Instagram, it was like 19,000 hashtags. If you go on Instagram right now and you hashtag waist beads, there's a million 
hashtags for waste beats. Wow. It is, I feel like it is the fastest growing spiritual technology in, in this country. Like it just, it's irresistible. Cause when you see it, people, first of all, you're like, oh my, what is that? Cause it's a gorgeous piece of jewelry hanging on your belly. Like who accentuates their belly, but it electrifies you. It turns all of your switches on immediately. Sometimes that's a lot for people. So I've had in five years, I've had two people be like, I just couldn't. Like I could not be that tapped in to the center of me, which is, you know, which is a real thing because it costs something to be aware. It does. Aware of what you're eating, aware of how you're being in your body, aware of how, what kind of environments you're, you know, occupying yourself in. Cause you are aware of all those things when you have a waist beat on. Mm. Well, this is amazing. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. I may have to come visit you because I'm not that far from Canoga. I, so like I may it. have to come for a little visit. Come see me. I'm um, going to come I, and see you. I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated by this whole thing. And I think, and then they're gorgeous also. So it's that I, I, my, my thing in my mind is, can I have something on myself that I can't take off because I even freak out just when someone puts a, one of those water park bracelets on me, like the paper and they do it too tight. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I literally, I don't know. Thank God. It's very, very different than that. (laughs) Okay. Yes, it is. But I'm, I have a little thing about permanent things, but we'll talk about that. (laughs) We'll talk about that another time. Okay. We're going to the speed round. It's party time. Okay. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? I think my warrior woman is fearless, but diligent. Like I, I really am. When I think of warriors, I think of people who have done the homework, who have watched, who have attended to the environment so that they know how to fight, how to, how to communicate if they need to communicate, how to shoot the arrow straight if they need to just shoot the arrow straight. It's, it feels like diligence to me. Mm, I've never had anyone say that. And that is a fascinating, amazing answer. Mantra or quote you live by? When you told me before about this and you said that, I was like, what will I say? And then I thought to myself, I'll just say whatever comes up. And it's actually the mantra I had when I was very young, which is interesting. It's be it till you become it. Mm, be it till you become it. Yeah. You just practice. I think, I think that that's my, that's my sort of fancy way of saying, just keep practicing, just keep swimming. I love be it till you become it. That might be the, that might be the name of this podcast. Um, okay. What makes you feel unstoppable? Knowing that I have me, knowing that I will never abandon me makes me feel unstoppable. It's the thing that makes me unstoppable, that I'm always with the one who's going to root for me. I love that. I love that. What are you most proud of? My children. My children. Still, you know, I, and all of, all of the things that, because I think that that's what endures. I think that I am proud of creating something that will endure. And thankfully, this business and all of the things that I am and do live in my children, and in particular, my daughter. And so I literally watch how I will go on every single day. It makes me literally want to cry. I know that what I'm doing here won't die with me. And it makes me less afraid to die. Yeah. Well, legacy, that word legacy is such a huge word. It's enormous. Like knowing you're in the long game and that this is not about you. This is about so much more than you. 
and that this is going to go on, that is really a powerful, powerful piece yeah. of what you're doing. And because I know that it was here long before me. Long before me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. You have a whole history. You've got a history shoring you up on one side, and then you've got this legacy pushing yeah. you. Up. So it's that is amazing. What's exciting you the most right now? Breathing. 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 The study of breathing, the science of breathing, the technology of breathing, following my breathing and all of the remarkable things that it is teaching me. So I facilitate something called guardian meditation every weekday morning. And it is born out of the fact that at the beginning of the pandemic, a friend of mine, a former coworker, asked me if I would facilitate meditation because she knew that I was a trained yogi. And she was frantic, like everyone was at the beginning of the pandemic. And I said, yes, immediately to a thing I wouldn't normally say yes to, because I wasn't one of those, you know, teach people yoga, facilitate meditation. Like we see on Instagram, everybody's facilitating meditation and teaching yoga, which I think is dope. That's not my personality. I really got a teacher certification to amplify my own practice. But when she asked me, I said, yes, turns out that that saying yes to that ushered me into a space where I could begin to share my personal meditative practice. Like what God says when God is talking to me, I can share outward. And so every weekday morning I sit in front of a camera and, and, and it's a dark space because it really isn't about the personality of just eyes. You can't see me. There's nothing fantastical going on for the visuals. It really is all about the technology of being present with this gift that God has given to every one of us without respect or person, which is our breath. Now, can we, can I put that link in the show notes so people can join? Yeah. So, so it, it is a private space okay. now. It can be a public space, so you can be a patron. So you sign up through Patreon, and then the live transmission happens on Instagram just because it's a better space okay. for But absolutely, I would love that. Okay, so then I'll put that link and how they can get to I just want to make sure, yeah. because I think that's amazing, and I mean, I would even love to do it, so I want to make sure we know how to do it. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Josiah, for coming on today and sharing all these amazing things. You are really, you really are making me think and you're making other people think, I know too, about how to practice mindfulness in a bigger way, in a deeper way, how to challenge yourself. Because I think some people have been on a journey for a while and they have been doing some things. And this is sort of, you're kind of offering some ways for people to even get more in touch with themselves and to really be more present and more aligned. And I think it's like, yeah, and I, and I love what you're doing. It's a dig. You know, what, what happens here is the next dig because there is so much. There's so much. If we think about all the things that we don't know, like we have to we have to we have to be explorers here or we'll just be where we are. So people are feeling like, well, I'm stuck where I am. Like, what are you exploring? Are you exploring you? 100 percent. Well, thank you so much, Josiah. I really appreciate you coming Oh man, this was fun. It was fun. Okay, Super. Well, thank we're, you. Gonna be, we're gonna be seeing more of each other, I have a feeling. I like it. Yeah. Okay, thank you everyone for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations of Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye everyone. Okay.